0: morning it's thursday january the 9th 2023 welcome to now with dave brown coming to you on TV. i'm dave brown let's hit the horns and go coming up on the show today dr larissa moniz from fighting blindness canada discusses age-related macular degeneration month Aaron Broverman reflects on new data that shows Canadians are facing financial and economic anxieties. And Alex Smythe concludes his coverage of the 2023 Ontario Parasport Games. The top story today is a difficult one. It's a sad note to begin the show, but it is a first-degree murder after crashing a bus into a daycare. Two children were killed and six others injured. pierre Saint Anna St. Amar appeared in court by video from a hospital yesterday and faces a total of nine charges. Neighbour Jeanette Lameroux describes the scene.
1: Oh yeah, he was hysteric. I saw him when the police dragged him in the the vehicle. His eye was like popping out, you know. He was nude. He didn't have any pants. So uh, I, I, I still can see his eyes, you know, how hysteric he was that man.
0: L'Aval Mayor Stéphane Boyer reflected on the tragedy.
2: You know, it's always hard when you see something like this. Uh, there's no words to there's no words to put on this. I mean, uh, you know, those are children that were starting their life. They didn't ask for anything.
0: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau shared his thoughts. I can't imagine
3: what the uh, families of the who were killed and indeed the ones who are seriously injured are going through right now after the bus crash. I you
1: know um, there are no words for parents who've lost their children this way. All
0: Canadians are grieving with them. Federal Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino also reacted to the news.
4: Our immediate thoughts go to the families of the victims, uh, to the other children who are in the class, uh, and to the entire team who work at that
0: daycare. Um, One can only imagine just how uh, shattering this is for for them. Quebec Premier Francois Legault will visit Laval today alongside other party leaders. There's no easy way to transition from a story like that other than to just do it. So let's switch over to health care. Following up on the federal government's offer to increase health transfers to provinces by nearly $50 billion, quite a bit of reaction came in yesterday. Starting in Ontario, that government is signaling an interest in accepting the deal. Ontario Premier Doug Ford finds the offer encouraging.
5: I'm confident we'll we'll, get the T's crossed, the I's dotted. We're, We're grateful. Um, for for the offer. We're grateful for sitting down with the Prime Minister uh, but we want sustainability. We need certainty.
0: Health Minister Sylvia Jones did lay out her concerns with the deal.
1: When deals come from the federal government in ten and five year increments, it makes it very challenging. Whether you're looking at new uh, medical schools, new residency positions, uh, training and hiring new nurses, those are all Things that take literally decades.
0: Prince Edward Island Premier Dennis King has also indicated that he will sign the deal. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev says that he'd honour the deal if elected prime minister.
4: We are going to honour it uh, because we, conservatives never allow cutbacks to health care. When we were in office uh, under the previous Harper government, we increased health care transfers by 6% every
0: single year. That's the politics what did health professionals have to say about the offer? President of the Canadian Medical Association, Dr. Alika LaFontaine, thinks money should be earmarked for primary care. I would make sure that, that money
4: um, was spent in the area of supporting primary care. I think one of the, the things that's very clear is that, you know, patients' access into the system is through community-based
0: primary care. You know, that that's the first place that... You know they, they often find their way into healthcare. Linda Silas is the head of the nurses' federation. She says any money is welcome, but says that retaining staff is becoming a huge problem.
1: And right now, our nurses are either leaving the workforce or going part time or are burning out uh, because of the workload, the lack of flexibility, and the too much of overtime. So if that's not addressed. They won't be able to do what they're promising Canadians.
0: Prince Edward Island Nurses Union President Barbara Brookins thinks any new money has to come with a plan.
1: Uh, well, it's it's good. It's definitely a positive, a positive move forward. But right now, we're just trying to make sure that there's some accountability to how this money is going to get spent, and how how long it'll take them to kind of implement it into actually concrete plans moving forward. So right now we need some immediate action to address the nursing shortages.
0: New Brunswick Nurses Union President Paula Doucette echoed that sentiment.
1: Accountability has to be attached to
2: this money. Uh, You know, it has to be uh, into our public health care system. This is Canadian taxpayer dollars, so there is accountability attached to that. And uh, we need to make sure that it's earmarked for You know, healthcare workers, uh, our system, the delivery of care, long-term care, uh, and everything that we have been talking about for many years.
0: The federal government will start one-on-one meetings with premiers today, starting in Ontario. Switching over to climate, a new report from the International Institute for Sustainable Development says putting public money into carbon capture projects is risky. Laurie Paris explains. The report argues carbon capture technology is too expensive and takes too long to build. It says Canada's oil and gas industry needs to reduce emissions now in order to meet this country's 2030 climate goals. The report says instead of subsidizing economically risky carbon capture projects, public dollars should go toward energy efficiency and electrification, as well as planning for declining oil and gas production over time. There are currently just seven operating carbon capture and storage projects in Canada. But several more have been proposed, including a flagship $16.5 billion possible project by the Pathways Alliance Group of oil sands companies. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. And finally, an annual survey on how trusting Canadians are suggests their faith in governments is rebounding. Emily Javesky takes a closer look.
3: The 2023 Can Trust Index, published by Proof Strategies, surveyed more than 1,500 adults online between January 5th and 13th. Last year's survey suggested after two years of the COVID 19 pandemic, trust in governments had plummeted to new lows, with just 22 percent of those surveyed saying they trusted governments. This year, that rose to 37 percent, the highest it's been in this survey since 2018. However, more than half of those surveyed said political parties are divisive and only one quarter said they feel politicians do their best to deliver services to Canadians efficiently and on time. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
0: That's your look at the news. Let's get to the daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. On Wednesday, you were asked, are there too many awareness days, weeks, and months to keep track of? 71% of you said yes. 29% of you said no. Terry tweets in at Accessible Media. There are so many of them. I wonder if anyone actually cares anymore, except what it affects them personally. That's very thoughtful from Terry and greg emails in at feedback at ami.ca i'm fine with all the food related campaigns like chicken wing day heck yeah cheeseburger day heck yeah etc i'll also give etc a heck yeah too today's daily poll this one coming to you at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook it's a topic that will be explored in tech trends and then again later in the show with mark Flalo. What is your preferred web browser? What is your preferred web browser? And if your favorite is not listed, please write in. And you can also let us know what features you like in the comments section or replying to the tweet. So, I've put the four most popular web browsers as these options. Chrome, Safari, Edge, Firefox. I don't know why I didn't get Edge said there properly, but Edge and Firefox. So one more time, Chrome, Safari, Edge, or Firefox. Which is your preferred web browser? Which is your preferred web browser? I'll be honest with you, I use three of these four. I would say Edge is my preferred number one web browser. I think it's just familiarity and comfort. I like the Microsoft landing page with lots of news stories for me to cycle through. Keeps me in the know, or at least what the algorithm thinks I should know in the know. I like that it has little polls I can vote on that I enjoy. And uh, I don't typically mind the Bing search engine, but it's easy enough to punch Google into the search bar if I want to get over to Google to search something. So Edge is my preferred, but certainly I use Chrome in conjunction with my Chromecast. And I even mess around with Firefox from time to time. But I was stunned when I was looking at the, at the numbers this morning. Chrome is the most popular web browser in the world at 3.3 billion users worldwide. And Firefox in at number four is under 200 million. So the difference between the top the top one and the top four, it is staggering. Alex Smythe, I kind of preambled as I tend to do a little too much on that. But what is your preferred web browser?
4: Yeah, Dave, kind of like you, I, I bounce around quite a bit. Um, I, I've used all of them uh, depending on the device that I am using. Uh, So Chrome, I would say it's my standard day-to-day all on my personal laptop and and whatnot. That's my kind of preferred browser. But Safari, you know, I use that for my phone. I use that on my iPad, any Apple products. uh, Safari is typically on there. Edge is the one I have on my work laptop and I'm fine with it, I use it. And then wow, if you, I really, want, you
0: really do bounce around here I,
4: I bounce around and and then Firefox is typically my number one backup for every single uh, device or, or web browser you know um, there would be a time where it's like oh well uh, this this website this program this um, uh, you know uh, process is not Uh, compatible with Chrome Safari Edge It's like, okay, well, let's try Firefox and typically Firefox Mm -hmm, as well. mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I've used all four. Uh, If I would have to say just based on usage, probably Chrome would be my number one, but I I have nothing against all of them. They're all slightly different things. I I like a bit more than others. I I think I like the, I agree with you, Dave, the comfort of Edge, but I find Chrome is very similar to Edge. So it's that uh, similarity. Except that when you punch in into the search bar, you're going to Google instead of Bing, which I mean, people use Google over Bing, there's no no debate. So <laughs> that
0: that I, is I correct. I that Chrome. is accurate. If, yeah. if we were just talking search engines, Google beats Bing, uh, hands down. Yes. Although Bing is getting a little bit of a refresher by, by incorporating more AI into its process, but we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Alex, when you mentioned that Chrome is your personal uh, laptop or your personal computer, what is it about Chrome that you like? Because I'll tell you, the edge, it's comfort, but it's also anytime I try to use the auto-zooming technology or the holding down control and, and spinning the mouse wheel to zoom in, and make the font bigger it autofills really nicely and I find that the screen doesn't get totally distorted where sometimes chrome does get a little wacky when I do that sometimes firefox does get a little wacky when I do that in terms of autofilling so that's one of the reasons why I really prefer edge in my personal day-to-day use why would you say you prefer chrome in your day-to-day use
4: well I found that chrome was generally more accepted um it, it was uh things were just better suited for Chrome. They were properly laid out. Now, I'm not using these uh, zoom-in features or any accessibility features, so I I need a preface with that. But I found too that, especially like maybe five years, 10 years ago, it it became a big question of speed because Mm, there would be a lot mm. of, like the website and browsers would be varying processing speeds. And I found Chrome was typically like the fastest. I always found Internet Explorer, the precursor to Edge, was typically the slowest. So it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm sick and tired of waiting ten seconds every single time to open up a website <laughs> on Internet Explorer. I'm gonna go to Chrome. Oh my goodness, it's so much faster. You know, Firefox uh, is is really good too, but there was one point on a previous laptop where I had like, you know, a bunch of different like weird virus. So got downloaded onto Firefox, so I kind of just stopped using it because every time I opened up, it would be like 16 pop ups that would come up. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so Chrome, <laughs> kind of as a result of that, became uh, the quickest, it became the most efficient. It was still a comfortable layout, as I have to say. You know, I, there's a lot of similarities to Edge, so I think that made it an easy transition for me. Whereas Firefox, I'm not as in love with the layout, the look, the design uh, to it, but I can still use it if that makes sense.
0: As I mentioned to you, I use Chrome almost exclusively for my Chromecast at home when I wanna stream something from my computer to my TV. It's an amazing, very smooth process and one of the things to my mind that Chrome has done over the last three or four years is it's wanted to change the user experience during the pandemic there were a lot of extensions built into Chrome that allowed you to really share screens or share spaces or consume content at the same time which is just a really smart thing that they're doing that they're building so many functionalities into Chrome especially if you have a Gmail account and you use any of the Google suite of products they really want to make sure that you're Operation is smooth, and to give you little bonuses and rewards for using that browser. I haven't dipped all the way into it, but my family is going to be doing a, a Google Meet this weekend on Saturday Ooh, okay. with the parents in Arizona and the, and the niece in Ottawa and me in Toronto, and we're going to be using Chrome because it's just really easy. It's, it's even easier than setting up a Zoom call. It's just really interesting because we all have, we all have Gmail accounts. So I would say that that Chrome does deserve some reward in the sense that they've really invested in. In tools that are good for play or business inside the browser as as a bonus for playing and staying in that browser. Yeah, well, and
4: also too, you have to look at it. Who are the companies behind these different browsers? I mean, you're talking about three of the biggest tech companies in the world. You got Google, you got Apple, and you got Microsoft. And then you got Mozilla, who's, who's responsible for Firefox. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's three giants and, and uh, David versus the Goliath, basically. <laughs> so I mean, uh, Firefox clearly punches above its weight because they came out with a great product now they don't have the luxury to be able to you know connect it to these other devices to make this cross platform sharing or or um, uh, kind of adaptability uh an uh, a feature whereas these other ones do mm-hmm. but for a long time I mean they weren't taking advantage of it i I think it's great to hearing like as Chrome has really dove into the Google uh, ecosystem has become kind of the, the go to trendy tech word of building these, these uh, cross platform cross device um, networks uh, products that, okay, you're investing in Google, you're investing in Apple, you're investing in Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 there's, for whatever reason, Microsoft, there's some things that they do, like I have an Xbox, I, I, I have a PC and stuff. It's a lot of Microsoft products. But there's little things that still just kind of drive me crazy or that I just don't quite understand. It's like this could be so much easier. Like other companies are doing this better. Why yeah. can't Microsoft just get there? You think you think they would have the most resources, the most uh, uh, kind of um, uh, like support to be able to do it. But. For whatever reason, Google and, and Apple are just ahead of them in certain aspects.
0: When I found out that I could pair my Xbox to my computer, I thought to myself, what an unnecessary thing, but also how cool is that? Uh, and the process proved to be a little less onerous than I thought it would be. Not that I need to do that because my TV and my computer are like five feet from each other. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Alex, I'm putting you on the spot here as a concluding okay. thought. It's a pop quiz. As mentioned, Chrome, most popular browser in the world, 3.3 billion users. It's incredible. Firefox number four at under 200 million what do you think is the fifth most popular web browser in the world oh geez, I'm trying to even think what other web browsers are out there Um, think think mobile think think what would be a big mobile like Samsung internet probably nailed it yeah. Nailed it. You took my clue there. You took my clue and you nailed it. Uh, over a hundred yep. million uh, people using the Samsung uh, mobile web browser, which is interesting because I do find that when I'm using my phone, I do not use Chrome. I end up using the Samsung web browser and it is quite good. It actually is a very good web browser. So uh, interesting yeah. to see. But, but again, it's a, it's a very narrow lens that are applying because it is just for Samsung mobile phones.
4: Yeah, but it, I I enjoyed it when I had uh, my Samsung phone that you would get different kind of processes and you could have multiple browsers open and not just like the tab would close or if you're searching through Google, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. it refreshes to the Google search bar. It's like, oh, I can have multiple windows open, multiple searches happening, and I can cross-reference, go back and forth. So I always found it useful having the two different ones.
0: Yeah, and if, I find it's really good for a Zoom zoom text as well. Zooming in, it's really, really good for that front. So anyway, there's that. that's number five, Samsung Internet Mobile. Alex, thank you for this. Don't go too far because you're gonna be back in just a moment to read the weather as well as uh, present an interview you did at the Ontario Parasport Games in the next segment. But before I hand the microphone back to Alex, I wanna remind you that you can vote on the poll at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook, at Accessible Media. Media on Twitter. You can send emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or you can pick up the phone and give us a ring ding ding, 1 509 4545. 1 509 4545. Bonus points if when you call, you say, This is me, ring a ding a ding in, and reference what song that's from, and I'll, I'll send you a prize. I'll send you something from my very cluttered apartment. Let's go back to Alex Smythe has the National Weather Updates.
4: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's snow today and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 6, and it's feeling like minus 16. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's sunny, it's a high of minus 1, and feeling like minus 13 with the wind chill. In Montreal, Quebec, there's snow and possible freezing rain starting this afternoon and with up to four centimeters of snow expected. The high is one degree and the wind chill makes it feel like minus nine. In Ottawa, Ontario, there's heavy fog this morning and then it's going to be ice or freezing rain and snow beginning this afternoon. The high is zero and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 13 and as you can imagine There is both a fog warning and a freezing rain warning. In effect, it's a very treacherous, ugly day out in Ottawa, so be careful if you're heading out there. In Toronto, Ontario, there's lots of rain today with possible freezing rain starting this morning. There's up to 25 millimeters expected to fall today. The high is eight degrees. It's raining pretty hard in North York right now. It was raining real hard while while I was
0: preparing the script.
4: And it's gonna continue like that throughout the day, Dave. So as we move on to Thunder Bay, Ontario, it is light snow off and on today, wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is one degree and it's feeling like minus six. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny, but there's wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 12 and feeling like minus 19. The sunshine continues as we make our way west. So over to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where it's mainly sunny, The high is minus five, but it's quite cold and it's feeling like minus 27 with a wind chill. In Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly sunny as well. Five degrees is the high, but with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 13. Up to Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds. Four is the high, and again, minus 13 with that wind chill. Up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus 18, and feeling like minus 30. Vancouver, B.C. now, where it's mainly cloudy with rain expected in the morning, the high is 11 degrees. And it's the same conditions in Victoria, B.C., where it's mainly cloudy with rain expected this morning, and the high is 11 degrees as well. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from
0: Environment Canada. Thank you, Alex. Stay right there because after the break, you're concluding your coverage of the 2023 Ontario Parasport Games with one more interview. So Alex is staying right there. You should stay right there as well. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. it's now with dave brown on ami you've been hearing highlights from the 2023 durham region parasport games all week long alex smith has been sharing a series of interviews emily shavers new columnist on the show shared some of her reaction of taking in a couple of the events while well, alex smith has one more interview to share alex who are you featuring today
4: yeah, so for our final interview, we got a chance to speak with Matt Miller, who is a para ice hockey player who was attending his first Ontario Para Sport game. So, uh, here's what he had to say about it. First off, can you tell me how you got involved in para ice hockey?
5: Like when I was younger, I've always wanted to play. Uh, like I like the NHL and all those things, and uh, we tried to see what's around, and we eventually found throughout Grandview and then we looked around for somewhere close to do it, and we found this area.
4: You played your first game
5: this morning. What was it like playing in these games? It's pretty cool. It's a, a nice atmosphere. We sadly lost uh, 2 nothing, but uh, we have another game uh, this afternoon. I like the experience of these games because it gets you more to like, make new friends and meet a whole bunch of new people.
4: In terms of like the arena, because uh, you're playing in an arena that has been adapted for uh, sledge hockey, para ice hockey, have you played in an arena setting like that before? And how was it being able to play in an arena that's made
5: accessible for your sport? I have. Like some many arenas have like little adjustments for uh, accessibility for sledge hockey, but uh, now I'm starting to see more renovations for to make it more accessible for people with disabilities
4: in terms of these para sport games like what was your your hope or your thoughts going
5: into these games like what did you personally hope to experience i hope to experience to uh have fun first of all and uh, that's important yeah and uh to meet new people.
4: Well, that's, that's a great thing, right? Because it's like opportunities like this, and, you know, it's, you don't always have the chance to get to meet other people who are playing the similar sports or, or, or trying other para sports. So it can be a great kind of community builder. And then, you know, maybe you get exposed to something new because there's so many different sports and activities happening here. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? this weekend you know you got the opening ceremonies tonight you got more games today and tomorrow is it are you going to maybe check out some of those other games
5: yeah um i'm pretty excited to see what the opening ceremony is like because it's something i've never done before and it's going to be a cool experience for me and i'm excited to see how it all plays out and uh just for the hockey part just uh, see how far we do and how far we've come into the tournament
4: you had your first game, you, you didn't come out with the uh the win that you're hoping for, but do you feel like it's a pretty good level of competition here?
5: Yeah, I feel like uh many of the teams have mixed abilities, like like the ability level's just all over the place and it's good to have that.
4: For someone who may not know about the Ontario Parasport Games, like what would you tell them to kind of not only describe it but entice them to come and check it out?
5: Um I would say that uh, there's many different sports and you should definitely come check it out because uh, it's unique and uh, it would be a good experience for many people to see. After these games, what do you hope you can kind of take away and build on? Maybe move up a couple levels uh, and yeah, it will just make me a better person overall, I believe.
4: Do, do you want to hopefully one day make it to a a national level or or potentially even uh, go to a paralympic level if you could?
5: Uh, yeah, that that would be like that's one of my goals uh, that I hope comes to one day
4: well i'm I'm sure you you're in the right spot to get started, you know you you go through this competition, then hopefully you don't have to wait four more years to to play in the the next Ontario sport games and hopefully you start. Hearing and seeing more of your name as uh, we follow along the sport. So, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me.
5: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Alex, we don't do a lot of uh, fashion conversation on the show, but that teal hoodie that Matt Miller was wearing was awesome. That's such a great color. I, I don't even know how to describe teal properly for someone who doesn't know what teal is, but oh, that was a pretty color of that hoodie. Sorry, I, I know we don't do fashion talk on the show a lot because <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about fashion.
4: Hey, you know what? Yeah, he he had a great style. He had the, the beanie as well, the duke. The it was... Uh... It was well put together. I, I was kind of jealous, you know, yeah. just with my, my pullover sweaters, <laughs> the dark gray, the standard uniform of a guy in his 30s, you know. So. Yeah,
0: yeah that- but,
4: uh, you know, he was rocking it. He, he, you could tell he was like, oh, yeah. He's a hockey player through yeah, and through. through, he, and he, through. Knows
0: what, he knows how to look good. Yeah, Alex, one of the sentiments that ended up being a connective tissue across the different interviews that you shared last week and this week is that people need to support Parasports. There needs to be greater support for Parasports. What do you think could be done to get more people involved in the movement?
4: I, I think there has to be more emphasis on really celebrating these types of games because... Unfortunately, as you and I both know, Dave, when it comes to accessibility, the disability community, voices are often lost or, or they're not uh, being uh, kind of uh, echoed or, or shared as frequently as there's other marginalized groups uh, that are, are, are being uh, kind of heard. So. You know, these were important games. These were the Ontario Parasport games. But even with, like, you know, the Canada games and, and uh, the uh, Para Pan Am games, these are massive yeah, yeah. Uh, competitions, but they don't get the same level of coverage. They don't get the same level of awareness that other national or, or provincial uh, sports or, or competitions do. And I, I think there's more work that can be done to really... Spread that awareness. Now they're trying, but um, it, it's a slow process. And in and, and the pandemic really had a huge impact on para sports overall. There was a lot of sports that really had to stop, and they really had to reevaluate how they delivered uh, sport and, and access to people with disabilities because you know there's people who have uh, you know compromised immune systems or mm-hmm. are are more vulnerable when it came to the pandemic. So they had to be extra careful where other aspects other areas of uh, society maybe w- didn't have to consider those needs as much so there i i think they need to just keep going it's almost like a reset that had to happen sport is starting to grow again but uh i i think it's just a lot more attention and and excitement around this and having people who are from the able-bodied community come in and check out these games because that was something that don terry when we did the live remote last friday talked about it's like you can come out, check this out. I think it was like Be the Roar was yeah, was their yeah. you know, a caption that they were talking about. It's having the fans come out, be a fan section for these these athletes, these players. And I thought that
0: was really unique is trying to really celebrate and get the community out to support these athletes. I've got three prongs that I would do here and they're all a little bit different, Alex. Number one is okay. very at the grassroots. Certainly places like the Ability Center are an amazing concept, but it would be nice to see more universal design at all athletic facilities, point final period, so that at the grassroots level you don't need to be building specialized facilities for Parasport, that Parasport can be integrated into all other sports and recreation programming. So that's a grassroots thing. The other thing is platforming. That's something that I think even at AMI we could do an even better job of of not simply talking about para-sports, but actually platforming para-sports. I know some management uh, who are down the hall today might not be super happy that I said that out loud, but I said it, it's out there, it's in the ether. And number three is at the elite, elite level, there needs to be more work to make sure that para-athletes are being compensated for their successes for example, para-athletes not getting the same amount for winning a gold medal at the Paralympics as a mainstream athlete would at the Olympics would be one concern for me, but also there's just greater investment and in resources in terms of giving them the elite resources to do their training and have that success. So that would be my three-prong approach. Alex, where do you see the future of para-sports in Canada? You got to hold this to about a minute, buddy.
4: Yeah, I, I think it is getting better. It, it is bright. As I said, there was so much... Momentum going into tokyo there there was really a push there was a growth there was years of work that had gone into it and then, because of the pandemic, that all kind of stopped and so I think that given time and there 's more attention there 's more opportunity for uh, people who can showcase other ability be uh, share other stories in in media and in society now i think it's going to be bright but we have to support it 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 starts at home it starts with the grassroots and then you invest there you're going to invest into the national international level and i think
0: that's that's really the key it, it's very interesting to me because the first ever story I did for AMI in May of 2011 as a reporter was a Canadian Paralympic event. And going into that event, dude, I knew nothing about parasports. That's my own ignorance, I, I will confess. But at the time, parasport was an afterthought. Now, maybe it's because I'm in the thick of it, working here for all these years, and because I've had the opportunity to interview coaches and interview athletes and go to facilities and go to major events. I mean, you went to a Paralympic. Olympic Games in, in in South Korea. Like you've you've been like right there on the front lines. It. It, it is interesting to see that there is more mainstreaming. The work that CBC Gem is doing, the work that a lot of other platforms are doing to make sure there's coverage, social media has changed that. So I see the future as bright, but it can't just be resting on the laurels. It has to keep building. That that, that stone has to keep get rolling up the hill to make sure that athletes and coaches and resources are giving. But I also think the future is bright. Alex, thank you for this. Much appreciated. Great job covering these games. Thanks, Dave. It's always exciting to do that and meet people out in the field. Absolutely. That's Alex Smythe. To learn more about the games, visit durhamregion2023.ca, durhamregion2023.ca. Coming up next, Dr. Larissa Moniz from Fighting Blindness Canada discusses age-related macular degeneration awareness month. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes.
1: Canada's main stock index lower yesterday. Toronto's TSX index fell 45 points to close at 20,679. New York's Dow Jones average tumbled 207 points and the Nasdaq dropped 203. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index slipped 22 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.55 cents US. A new report from the International Institute for Sustainable Development says putting public funds into carbon capture and storage projects is a risky bet. The report argues carbon capture technology is too expensive and takes too long to build. It says Canada's oil and gas industry needs to reduce emissions now in order to meet this country's 2030 climate goals. The report says instead of subsidizing economically risky carbon capture projects, public dollars should go towards energy efficiency and electrification, as well as for planning for declining oil and gas production over time. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. February marks age-related macular degeneration awareness month. Fighting Blindness Canada is one of the organizations working hard to raise awareness about the condition. Dr. Larissa Moniz is Fighting Blindness Canada's Director of Research and Mission and joins the show now. Dr. Moniz, fantastic chat with, to chat with you again. Thank you for making time. Thanks for having me. So what's the current landscape? What are the current stats around AMD in Canada?
3: So... AMD or age-related macular degeneration, it is the most common cause of vision loss over the age of 55, and 2.5 million Canadians have age-related macular degeneration. Um, For many individuals, they will have little to uh, minimal vision loss, but over 180,000 Canadians do have vision loss that is caused by AMD.
0: There are two kinds of AMD, wet and dry. What's the distinction between the two?
3: So... Dry is usually the first type of AMD that you will be diagnosed with and it is most often less severe. Um, You you might start to see a bit of um, blurring of your central vision, a bit of loss of your central vision, um, some hard time looking um, in sort of night vision or low light conditions, but it can progress to either advanced dry AMD, which is also called geographic atrophy, Or one in 10 individuals might develop the second type of AMD, which is called wet AMD or neovascular AMD. And in wet AMD, blood vessels start to grow behind the eye and they can leak fluid into the eye and cause um, severe vision loss, but also very quick vision loss. So it's important if you have been diagnosed with AMD to make sure you're going for regular checkups to make sure that you're catching anything if it starts to progress. Uh,
0: Along those lines, what are some of the contributing factors that lead to the various kinds of AMD? And and are there any preventative steps that people should be monitoring?
3: So as I sort of mentioned, it's pretty common over the age of 55. So age is one of the most common risk factors, which is something that we can't do anything about. We're all going to age. Some of the things that you maybe would put you at higher risk is smoking is one of the Um, most modifiable risk factors. So if you are a smoker, if you um, stop smoking, it will reduce your risk. Family history is also important. So if you know that um, somebody in your immediate family had AMD, it's probably important to be going for this more regular checkups and telling your eye doctor about it so they can keep an eye out. And then once you get diagnosed with, say, dry AMD, especially if you're in the early stages, um, monitoring it regularly, really important. If you move um, a little bit more to what's called intermediate stage AMD, your doctor may recommend some supplements that you can take, and they're called ARADs. And these supplements have been shown to reduce the progression, reduce how quickly AMD progresses. But it only really works if you're already at that intermediate stage.
0: As part of the Awareness Month, FBC has links to at-home amsler grids sorry uh, <laughs> bad bad pronouncer there I may have gotten that wrong amsler amsler grids what are they and how are they used to spot signs of amd
3: Yep, so an Amsler grid, it is essentially a grid of a grid. So it's a big square with little squares inside. And um, you put it on, say, your refrigerator on the wall, and you would um, stand a few feet back. And if you look at it, um, what it does is it can help you detect if you've got any changes in vision. So if some of those straight lines start to look like they're getting wavy or blurry, it's a potential sign that maybe um, your AMD has progressed. So a lot of people, if they've been diagnosed with wet or dry AMD. Their doctor will give them this Amsler grid and tell them to look at it regularly. And we do know, we've heard of um, one of our community members who was actually driving, he had dry AMD. He was driving and he noticed that the lines on the road were starting to get wavy. And that was for him the trigger Mm. to go to his eye doctor. And um, when he got there, he was told that he had progressed to wet AMD. So um, yes, as you mentioned, um, Fighting Blindness Canada, we have them on our website for you to download, or we can also mail you a copy if you go to our website. We're happy to help you out.
0: You and your colleagues are engaged in so much interesting research around uh, vision loss. What is the current research around treatments, or what are some of the treatments that are being worked on right now around AMD?
3: Yes, yeah, so I think there's sort of a few categories. So for wet AMD, there is already a really common treatment called anti VEGF f injections, which helps slow down the blood vessel growth. So there's a lot of research taking place trying to make those treatments more effective so that you don't have to go get those injections into your eye quite as regularly. Um, another step is trying to see if you can maybe... Um, reduce the injections altogether. So by maybe doing a gene therapy approach, so maybe you would get one injection, the gene therapy would deliver the drug, and then you wouldn't have to go for regular injections. For dry AMD, there currently aren't any treatments on the market. So there's a lot of research trying to understand um, what is causing dry AMD, how can you slow progression, and for the um, advanced form of dry AMD called geographic atrophy, there are some treatments that are going through clinical trials and they um, will hopefully be um, at least one or two of them in canada in the coming years and then a final type of really innovative treatment are restorative treatments so this is for mm-hmm. if you've already lost a lot of vision um, things like stem cell therapy or retinal prosthesis trying to um, give back some vision if it's already been lost those are. Um, bit further away from being ready for use for patients, but um, very exciting um, sort of things to look forward to in the future.
0: Beyond really interesting research being done by you and your colleagues, Fighting Blindness Canada does a great job with outreach. I just got an email in my inbox yesterday with uh, with the newsletter with some really interesting topics and articles to share. But every, every month, FBC puts, or excuse me, regularly, FBC puts on the Viewpoints webinar. What's the topic for this month and who's speaking?
3: So, because of age-related macular degeneration month, our topic is AMD, and we're going to focus this month on talking about some of what you were talking about, some of those innovative treatments, what is the research happening, so looking at clinical trials for both dry and wet AMD. And we have Dr. Tom Shido, who is a retinal specialist from Western University in London, Ontario, so we're really excited to have him on, and it will be on Tuesday the 24th at 4 p.m. So if you go to our website, you can sign up to to hear the webinar. And we also always post the webinars online afterwards in case you miss it.
0: Fightingblindness.ca. Fightingblindness.ca is where you can find out more. Dr. Moniz, thank you for making time to be with us today. It's always such a great pleasure to catch up.
3: Yeah, thanks for letting us share this exciting news.
0: That's Dr. Larissa Moniz, FPC's Director of Research and Mission Programs. Coming up after the break, Erin Broverman reflects on some new data that shows Canadians are facing significant financial, and economic anxieties. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. New survey data shows Canadians are feeling significant financial and economic anxiety. 22% of people said that they cannot afford any more cost increases on necessities, according to Ipsos. 32% of respondents said they'd have to make significant changes in spending if prices went up any further. In other words, over half the country is in a precarious financial situation. Aaron Broverman has some thoughts on this data. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron.
2: Good morning, Dave. Happy NBA trade deadline day.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's already been a very, very busy one. Brock Richardson, our sports reporter, is popping by in about uh, 10 minutes time or 12 minutes time. And we're going to get into all the wildness going on in the NBA trade deadline. And Aaron, maybe as we say goodbye to you, I'll ask you a deadline question. But let's get into this data. What's your general takeaway from this survey data?
2: I would say that this confirms that Canadians are definitely feeling the pinch when it comes to price increases uh, related to interest rate hikes uh, by the Bank of Canada and uh, inflation, that even though uh, inflation is going down, uh, prices are still increasing. Uh, Places like Loblaws, the grocery store, um, uh, reported record profits and uh, actually went before uh, the government. So, uh, you know, Canadians are really, really feeling the squeeze, and this confirms it. Mm -hmm.
0: There was a really interesting snippet in the data that showed that women are feeling the
2: pinch pinch more than
0: men. What's your reaction to that data?
2: I would say with 20% of women uh, feeling the pinch as opposed to 50% of men, that's more than double uh, women versus men. I would say it's mostly because you know women are you know the the people that are doing most of the you know household uh, chores that they're, they're going to the grocery store they're seeing the prices they're buying the household necessities there's also the pay gap that mm-hmm. still exists between women and men so obviously uh, women would be feeling it more
0: there's also a geographical component to this why do you think people in ontario and quebec are feeling this issue at an increased rate
2: well those are our two largest provinces by population so obviously they would be represented a little bit more in the survey. Um, so I think that's mainly why uh, they're feeling the pinch more. there's also been um, you know a crunch on social services and those sorts of things uh, you know with, with conservative governments in Ontario and that sort of thing. so um, I think it's mostly due to population but also um, you know uh, social services mm. as well getting cut.
0: Yeah, I, I've really been trying to wrap my head. I think you're right about the proportionality. Just the number of people in that in that uh, in that Windsor, Quebec City corridor. Such a huge portion of the Canadian population is in that corridor. And, and I do think about Southern Ontario as a matter of cost of living. Like it, it's just a very large swath of the country and it's a very expensive swath of the country. That's not to imply that Victoria, BC or Vancouver, BC or the Sunshine Coast or even the interior mainland aren't expensive places to be. But I wonder about simply just the density of Southern Ontario. It's a very, very expensive place to live.
2: Absolutely. Like Toronto is probably the second most expensive place to live next to vancouver and then when you add all the other cities in the gta and and southern ontario and the population you're you're going to see increased numbers and then you bring in quebec and that's another large province mm-hmm. so uh you know it's 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 going to be weighted heavily towards those two provinces.
0: Yeah, especially places like Montreal, Quebec City, and Gatineau. Like Those are the three biggest populations in the province, and those are all expensive places to live. Uh, Gatineau, really, compared to Ottawa, is a little bit cheaper, but it's still very, very expensive to live there because of a very stable job market. Montreal is a, is a thriving city, but coming with a thriving city means really, really expensive rent and really, really expensive everything else. So, yeah, it's fascinating to see that geographic component where it's not maybe represented in the same way in, say, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg. It, it, I just thought it was really fascinating to see how that landed in Quebec and Ontario. Aaron, zoom out, zooming out here a little bit, the Bank of Canada has been raising interest rates almost constantly for a year it appears they may only have the rate one more time in the short term for an increase how do you perceive the central bank's role in this
2: they feel that interest is going down and it has since its peak at eight percent it has it has gone down significantly it was 6.3 percent in december um, they have raised since January 25th the interest rate to 4.5%. And they're saying that this is going to be the last uh, interest rate hike for a while as they pause to evaluate the impact of uh, their interest rate hikes on inflation. And uh, since inflation is declining, they expect inflation to go to 3% by mid 2023. Mm-hmm. So. You know, when, when, you, when you are the Bank of Canada, you're, there's, there's reason for optimism. It's just that prices haven't reflected the decline. They've continued to go up. I think it'll take a while before, you know, prices really reflect the reality of inflation going down. Um, and, you know, usually uh, prices will kind of lag behind. Uh, interest rates and inflation uh, normally. So we might not be feeling relief for another couple months but it's, but it's on its way, so there is hope. I, I think it was
0: the Financial Post this week did a story about where some of the prices are coming down and it's things like durable goods, fridges, ovens, uh, some other home renovation stuff. So that was fascinating to me because certainly those went through a big time spike, but that's not necessarily an everyday expense, right? When we consider the major drivers of inflation, fuel, housing, Food, right? So, so we can say that. Oh man, ovens are cheaper. That's dragging down. That's dragging down the inflation number a little bit. But it's not exactly the kind of thing that people are going to be feeling immediately in their wallet.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there was a report recently that you know grocery stores are experiencing record profits. Uh, there's one grocery store chain in Ontario called the Grocery Outlet where you can find really cheap prices. They actually went viral recently for their cheap prices but uh there there's been investigations over uh, whether these prices are being accurately reflected or whether you know companies are taking advantage of the economic conditions to uh, to pad their wallets and record record profits so you got to be very very careful and you, and sometimes people have to make decisions over you know I have to pay this bill but I can't pay mm. this other bill mm-hmm. so there's really really important decisions being made and we don't want to take those lightly by giving you know you know some pat advice like you know make sure you have an emergency fund and that sort of thing we have to kind of take this seriously because people are really doing all that they can do and uh, are running out of money. Aaron, you made reference to the Bank of Canada's projection,
0: saying that by mid-2023 they're expecting a significant slowdown. I would say, yeah, no kidding. When you're coming off record inflation a year ago, when you get to this spring and this summer, coming off months that were at 8.1 percent or 8.5 percent, you know, big, big numbers. That obviously, when you get 12 months away from that the number by its nature is going to be quite small because of the way that if inflation has been slowing the last three or four months.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, you know, I guess their point is be patient, you know, help is on the way, but uh, that's uh, that's rich. You know, when, when right now people need help, they, they need to uh, get some relief. So hopefully um, the government can do something and uh, people can hang on until mm-hmm. you know mid 2023.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 really concerned about the precarious situation that that people are in like it's delicate. There's there's a, certainly a case to be made about about monetary policy raising interest rates to try and deal with inflation, but I think about all the people on a variable rate mortgage who've just been walloped for the last year and it's a very difficult situation for those individuals.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And th- think about the people that have lost their jobs in like the tech sector mm-hmm, recently, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. Like one job loss, one missed paycheck, you know, most people are living paycheck to paycheck already. Credit card debt has always, you know, skyrocketed and is at record highs all the time. So it's like one one thing that destabilizes your your paycheck or your economic future and and you're down. You're 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 one paycheck away from you know really feeling it and being uh, you know poor Aaron you started this conversation
0: by mentioning the NBA trade deadline it's been pretty wild Brock Richardson is going to have some reflections in a moment what's your takeaway is it the Raptors reacquiring Jakob Potl is it Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns is it the Lakers trading for D'Angelo Russell what's your vibe
2: well, I'm a huge Raptors fan. I'm currently wearing my Kawhi MVP uh, shirt oh, nice. celebration of trade deadline day. So, uh, Jakob Purtle is a really nice acquisition, and we got him for very cheap. Kem Birch, and uh, you know, a few picks. That's nothing. That's that's a can of beans. Uh, the real cost will be whether they can re-sign him because there's only one year left mm-hmm. on his contract. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, I'm really encouraged because the Raptors have needed a center for a while. All the big centers in the NBA have really exploited us this season, which reflects our record in 11th place. So uh, I'm, I'm really encouraged by this news, and hopefully they can uh, make some other trades, maybe get off the contracts of uh, Gary Trent Jr. or uh, Paris the Thought, Fred Van Vliet. Oh, wow. Look, look at the
0: sports analysis. We thought we were talking just money with Aaron Broverman. Turns out we're talking a little sports too. Aaron, enjoy the trade deadline. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again in a few weeks.
2: Talk to you soon, Dave.
0: That's Aaron Broverman, the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Coming up next, you heard it. Lots of trades going down in the National Basketball Association. Brock Richardson will break it down in the sports chat. And I've got the regional news update for you. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV.